Welcome to Writer Spark, the podcast with tips and tricks about fiction writing. I'm your host, Melissa Bourbon, national bestselling author, developmental fiction editor, writing coach, instructor, and founder of Writer Spark Academy. Wherever you are on your writing path, Writer Spark has tips, tricks, and lessons for fiction writers. Today, we are talking about plotting the crime for your mystery, and my guest is Diane Freeman author of the Countess Harley Mysteries, which is an historical mystery series. So grab a cup of something tasty, settle in, and get ready to ignite your writer spark. Welcome, Diane. Thank you so much for being here with us. It's so nice to have you here. Thank you for having me, Melissa. I'm pleased to be here. So let's just jump right in uh, with a little bit of background about your path to writing. I like to always start with that to, um, you know, I think it's fun to have author origin stories and to hear, you know, where we started, that we were just sort of ordinary people. And now here we are living the dream of being a published author. (laughs) So uh, tell me about your origin story. How did you come to this career? Uh, It's a... bit of an odd story, probably, I think, based on most people I know. I was an accountant for 30 years. I've always loved reading. I've always loved writing. And most people I know in my business have a hobby that's either very creative or very physical to kind of counteract the fact that we're crunching numbers and sitting in chairs all the time. And for me, that was writing. And I would just write what I now call first drafts. But at that time, it was just telling myself a story. And so I'd switch back from reading to writing. If I couldn't find anything I liked to read, I'd start writing. When I finally retired, my husband played a lot of golf. I was hanging around the house. I did whatever I wanted for the first year. And I thought, you know what? I wonder if I could take one of these first drafts and make it into something somebody else might want to read. So I spent the next two years doing that. And... um got an agent. My agent took me through one more revision. She sold the book in like a weekend. And then I had a book contract and I went, oh my God, can I do this two more times? So this was for your your Countess Harley series. That was the first thing that you wrote that was published. Yeah, it was really exciting, but it was also really terrifying because I thought, wait a minute, I'm old. I'm, I'm, this is, <laughs> this is supposed to be my retirement. And can I do a book in a year? And I honestly, I just thought I have to take that plunge. I have to give it a try. And I haven't looked back and I've been thrilled ever since my first book published the year I turned 60. So anybody out there who's thinking of this as a second career, take heart. It is never too late. I love that. That is such a great message. And you, you know, you hear about stories like that. I, Janet Ivanovich, I want to say, was in her kind of late 40s, I think, when she first Maybe. published, you know. Mm-hmm. Grandma Moses, what was she in her own 70s when she first yeah. <laughs> painted her, her painting? Um, yeah, I mean, you're never too old. I love that message. And I think it's so true and something that we all need to, number one, hear and then also remind ourselves of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You are the only person putting limits on yourself. So Yes. Excellent. Excellent tidbit there. Tell us about the Countess Harley series a little bit. So it's an historical mystery series. I loved the idea, if I got this right, that they're a robber families, right? 
tell me about the family. They're, okay, they, you, you're probably thinking of the robber barons, and, and that's very true that um, Frances came about, my main character, who's my protagonist, she is an American heiress in the very late uh, 1800s, could not get up because they were nouveau riche. They were the robber barons. And because of that, the established families in New York and Philadelphia and even San Francisco wanted nothing to do with them. They they were crude. They were not genteel. Not old money. Exactly. They were not old money. That was the real story. Okay. But they had plenty of excuses for excluding them. So the the young women who were coming of age in that time if that was their situation, they were never going to break into society. One of the things that they did was to go across the Atlantic and meet and marry the aristocracy of Europe. Britain was the number one choice. They, for whatever reason, they really liked those titles. They felt these were real aristocrats, mm -hmm. uh, not like just some Italian count. You know, this was the real, they were related to royalty. And so that's, Prior to the book ever starting, that's what Frances did. Ten years down the road, she had married the um, Earl of Harley. And ten years down the road, she was now a widow uh, with a young daughter. She was at the very tail end of her mourning period for her husband. And she was looking to finally live her own life. Not live for her family, not live for her husband she wanted to make her own decisions. And so she kind of runs away and moves to Belgravia with what little money she has left because her husband has spent her dowry. And the problem is all her troubles come right behind her. And uh, she's accused of murder and her sister visits her. She's going to have a uh, big society uh, entree, a debut. And Francis is supposed to take care of that. So just Problems just keep happening. Murder ensues. Frances has to solve the crime. And at the end of book one, she starts thinking maybe she could really do this. Kind of mirroring your your own path, right? Mirroring your own path with, can I write another book? Can I solve another crime? <laughs> That's very true. I think it's really hard to keep ourselves out of our characters. I agree. They, they, it, our, our own opinions and thoughts do tend to show up in there. But um, yeah, so that's The Countess of Harley. Each book is takes place in the very late Victorian era. We, the one I'm writing now, it's um, actually April of 1900. So they've, they've come into the new century and there's just so much. I, I love that era. There's so much invention and industry going on, so much discoveries. But I, I still haven't come to things like fingerprints yet, mm -hmm. which is really happy for me because mm -hmm. I write an amateur sleuth. Mm -hmm. And I don't have to worry too much about modern crime and uh, crime forensics. solving and forensics. Mm -hmm. And yeah, exactly. So yeah, I, I like that historical bit. So really um, tell, so tell me about the sort of feminist thread that it sounds like goes through the series because you're talking about a very independent woman at a time when independent women were not really a thing, right? We were, mm -hmm. women were very much at the mercy of laws that did not, you know, were not there to benefit them. That's very true. Uh, a widow has a lot more freedom than a wife would have, or, or certainly even an unmarried woman, but they were getting more. And 
if you read these books or if you even read histories of the era, they may not see seem feminine the way we are today or mm-hmm. feminist the way we are today. They might have to sneak. They might have to insinuate themselves into, uh, as Frances does, into investigations because of her rank. And she plays whatever card she needs to play to get the results she needs. And that's kind of her strike for independence. She's fortunate enough to meet a man. And as the series goes on, you you find out why he is the way he is, who sees that, that women are indeed men's equals, if not superiors. Which and is an unusual he, theory back then it also. Is unusual. So, of course, he has to have a story, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> why does he feel that way? And so, so yeah, uh, there are probably women were more like us today than we think they were. They just had to push slowly against those barriers. And I often feel like, because I get letters a lot from people who say, well, wait a minute, women couldn't do that back then. And it's, you know, if respectable women did not go to restaurants alone or with other women, back then, we still wouldn't be doing it today because we didn't get our rights from what the women who didn't have respect did. You know, the women who just flaunted all of society and did whatever they wanted. We got our rights from the women who just pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. And very slowly, I mean, it's slow. It's an evolution, how we evolve. And uh, then sometimes we take a step back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So, yeah, it's it's hard thinking through that era. And it's like, okay, what will she have to go through to accomplish this feat? Mm-hmm. But uh, it's it's really an education and an experience. I really enjoy writing her. Yeah, she sounds like a wonderful character. Uh, have you watched Miss Scarlet and the Duke on PBS Masterpiece? You know, I actually, I hate to say this, that's not one of my favorites. Oh, really? But it has some similar themes in that you have this independent woman in, in an era when that wasn't a thing. And then you've got the, the police, you know, law enforcement who, you know, back and forth with his acceptance mm-hmm. of her, but ultimately, exactly. you know, he does. Yeah. Yeah. A bit of a more extreme. I think Miss Scarlet is a little bit, she's a little more forceful than I think characters would normally be. And mm-hmm. then the real extreme of that are the Enola Holmes Mm-hmm. Uh, mysteries, which which she's just wild, but yeah. I love them. <laughs> it's like yeah. no, I I really have a hard time believing that one. Yeah. Well, I don't know if we're yeah supposed to believe it versus just be entertained, but it's it's very entertaining. To see, I think where you know not necessarily where we started, but where we were at that point compared to where we are now. And as you said, we wouldn't be where we are now if it weren't for those people forging the way for us. And I think exactly. it's so wonderful to have those types of historical novels, but also just historical cozy mysteries and mystery series that capture that mm-hmm. in a really accessible way. I do love a good mystery. <laughs> so do I. Okay, that is a perfect segue into our topic, which is plotting the rhyme of your mystery. So uh, what kind of uh, tips and processes do you have to impart I do have a process. Um, As I said, it took me two, two and a half years to write the first book. And then I had to produce the second book in a year. And 
in like four weeks, I had to produce an outline and I had never outlined anything before. I totally pants the first book. So to help me, (laughs) I think so too, to help me with the outline, I ran into, and this is not my discovery. This is a creation by Rachel Poley. And um, I've kind of modified it to work for me, but she, she had a crime plot which is very typical as if you were doing a journalist journalism story, who, what, where, when, why, and how. So just picture um, a word, a blank word document with those headings on it, who, what, where, when, why, how, and you'll crime or plot your crime. The reason I do that is I don't like staring at a blank page for one. This is just a structure I write crime fiction. You know there's going to be a crime. It's usually going to be a murder. So this is a structure for me to hang the rest of the story on. And I might not know everything, but I'll be able to answer some of the questions I ask myself. The who are just your cast of characters. And you may not know them all, but you probably know who your victim is. So you'll write victim and don't just name that person. Um, In the second book, my victim was... um, it's gossip and murder, was just someone who kind of surprised Frances. It was a friend of hers, another gently bred widow who lived alone. So I would probably write that. Her name was Mary. She was a gently bred widow who lived alone. She was the victim. She was killed in her home. Who did it? Now that can change, but it's nice if you already know who your culprit is, and then you can kind of describe that person just a little bit. You don't need a whole lot of details, but what kind of person would murder this genteel widow? Um, it doesn't matter, I said, if your culprit stays your culprit, because you're also going to have suspects. So name your suspects, and then a little bit about why are they suspicious? Were they found at the scene of the crime? Were they known to have some animosity with the victim? That type of thing. Just starting to flesh these people out. And another good reason for doing that is um, your secondary characters become more than just scene fillers. You, They have a role to play. You know who they are. You know what's going to happen to them. They're going to be suspected. How will they get out of that? So you'll need to kind of flesh those characters out a little bit. But you go through the whole thing, your investigator. My investigator, it, for one, is Frances, my main character. So I know a little bit about her. Why is she involved in this? Why is she investigating this crime? So for each character, you do one of these. Sort I do. Of who, what, when, where, why, how outline. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So, yeah, you can do it. You can fill out all of your who's and then go down to what and fill all that out. Or you can take each character and go through the whole series with them. Your um, your what's can start off with what happened. You know, what what's the inciting incident? Was this person discovered? And is that how, you know, maybe somebody was thrown over a balcony and, and you know, in the middle of a, a party, that type of thing. <laughs> I don't know where I came up with that one. But, uh, you know, what what happened? Who who was killed? What, what was the crime? Was there, um, what could also be your evidence? What bits of evidence were found along the way? And that, of course, is going to get seeded in throughout the story. Uh, What happened before the crime occurred? Were they at a party? What happened right after the crime occurred? Did the person leave the party and get hit by a car? 
that type of a thing. So, so there's what was a going lot of content time? in the what section. And there it, is a lot it, more than you would expect. And it can yeah. be anything. It's just kind of a free flow of, of a variety yeah. of, of what's. Mm -hmm. okay. And you may not know all your what's yet. You, you know, this is the very beginning. You may not have all that information, but as you start drafting, you will. And to me, like if I am going to the grocery store and I have written a list, even if I forgot the list, because I wrote it down, I'm more likely to remember what I need to buy. So because you've written this down, as you go through the story, you're going to go, oh, wait a minute, you know, that person had this particular occupation. That could really play into this. So, so that will help you as you go through. Um, where? Where did the crime take place? Was the body moved? Where was the body found? So because for, that could play into it. For your red herrings or, or your, you know, your suspects, would you put where were they really when the crime committed? What were they really doing so that you know exactly. how they're exonerated from the crime ultimately? Where were they really? Exactly. That, to me, a, a fair mystery is one where only one person could have done it mm -hmm. in the story. So, yeah, you need to know where these people really were. Mm -hmm. Then, of course, another where is where did they say they were? Mm -hmm. Because people lie. People lie all the time. So where did they say they were? Um, were there any witnesses? What did the witnesses see? And are they telling the truth? So you get to know a little bit about them because you're going to have a little bit about your witnesses too. Do I have any other wares? I'm kind of looking at my guide as I say this. Oh, where were the clues found? Mm -hmm. Where was the murder weapon? What was the murder weapon? Are, are you right that that was the murder weapon? Will the coroner come back with a different cause of death a day or two later? So there are various red herrings that are going to turn up here and there in your where and in your what's. Uh, when, 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 I don't know, when I often can answer these questions, they don't always help me too much until later, mm -hmm. but they can become important because timing is everything. Mm -hmm. When did the crime occur? When was the crime discovered? When did the authorities arrive on the scene versus when were they called? And were they called way later than the crime was discovered? Could evidence have been moved? Has somebody been at the crime scene to tamper with it. Um, and when do the investigators find the clue and piece together the evidence? So that'll help you with your pacing as well. Yeah, so just uh, those key words really help you formulate questions. Exactly. All kinds of different questions that you need to answer, whether immediately or throughout, you know, at a later time as the story unfolds. But yeah, I think it's uh, those key words and those questions that you form are pretty instrumental because it gives us, like you said, it gives us a framework, a way to approach it that is a little bit more systematic. Mm -hmm. It really helps me to then jump into the next step, which for me is writing the outline. But if you're a pantser, it'll help you take that step into just starting to draft the story. Another way of using this, especially if you're pantsing, go through that first draft. Then ask yourself these questions. It will really help you find any potential plot holes. Oh, yeah. wait a minute. You know, that that can't happen because this person said they were there. So so that works too. One thing that in other discussions I've had with other authors that 
that uh, continually surfaces is that even if you are a pantser, there are elements of plotting that happen, whether it's mm -hmm. structured like what you're presenting or a little more fluid, you know, in, in um, just jotting down ideas. But I mean, for the most part, even if you're pantsing, you have a general idea of, of who the victim is and what the crime was and, you know, how it's going to right, get solved. Right. Mm -hmm. You generally, that, that's why I find this kind of a fun part to do because I generally know what the crime's going to be. Mm -hmm. I generally know who the victim is. I don't always know who did it, mm -hmm. but uh, it's fun because the next question you come to is why. So then you start working on everybody's motives and that's when you're doing it for all of your characters, you really get to know them before you start drafting. Mm -hmm. And that was one thing that I always felt like I never knew all of my characters until I finished the first draft. Mm -hmm. This helps get you really into their heads a little sooner. Why was, why was the person even at that party? Mm -hmm. You know, what, what was the party for? How do they know the victim and, and why might they want to hurt them? What did they have against them? This could be really, really beneficial too for people like me who write, 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 and then suddenly there's a new character that you hadn't planned on. And yes. you think, oh, that character's going to play a more important role. And then suddenly that character is dead, for example. And you, you have to go and ask yourself very explicitly, okay, why? Why did they show up? What? Why are they dead? You know, what was their purpose here? You have to ask those questions in order to flesh out what is it about this character that brought them on the scene and made them suddenly important when they hadn't been planned before? And if you can't answer I'm those so questions, then they that. don't deserve a place in the book, right? They have There have to be answers to those questions sure. that are connected to the plot. Very true. I've had the, the characters who began the, the story, and then I just kept sending them away on some mission. Yeah, yeah, you have to get out of the story because I don't need you right now. Mm -hmm. And then you have to think, do I really need this character at all? Mm -hmm. But I'm so glad that you said that about the, the character that just shows up because I always feel like, you know, I'm supposed to be in control of this, but but no, sometimes the story just takes its own shape it does. and you, you go with it. And, and that is when the person you thought did it didn't really do it. Or maybe they end up the second victim. And you're thinking, well, now what do I do? Right. But you can go back <laughs> and look at this and say, well, wait a minute. This character had a really good motive to kill both those people. Wow. This is what really happened. Because it's amazing how much your subconscious is really at work I was when you're thinking, doing this yeah, writing. Exactly. Yeah. And whenever I get stuck, I know it's because I've gone off track somewhere. And I have to set that part aside. I, I've learned not to write linearly which is great because it frees me up to then go on to some other scenes. I'm not, I don't have a writer's block per se, but I might be stuck in one little section and it could take a day. It could take three days. It's, it could, the answer could come to me when I wake up in the morning, but it is my subconscious that works through the problem. And all of a sudden I'm going, Oh, of course, that's where I went off track or that's the problem. And, and it's my subconscious that has figured it out over time. Exactly. I, I really hope new writers in particular are never afraid to leave a scene like that. You know, yes. leave yourself some notes. You know what has to happen. You just don't know how it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. It will come to you. Yes. So you, you just have to kind of trust that whole subconscious thing. And that did take me a long time to realize mm -hmm. that I 
gave myself permission to write out of order, to not just stick with the chronology of the story as I saw it at the time. It was so incredibly freeing to be able to move around. Yeah. And for me, as, as you had mentioned, when that unexpected character shows up, you know, you're going to have to go back and put them in the book earlier, but it's, it's, yes, I can handle that. I will get that in there. Mm -hmm. I don't have to say, no, this character's not allowed because I didn't start the book with them that way. Things will change. Mm -hmm. It's, it's kind of a living creature that you're working with right now. It really is. It evolves. The story kind of takes on a life of its own in so many ways. If you let it, I think. In, in a lot of ways, I, I, I think, think it's that, good to let it. Yeah, because I, I agree. I think in a lot of ways, stories that I read, books that I read that are so incredibly tightly plotted and you can see those elements sort of unfold. To me, they often lack a little bit of the surprise or the, the fluidity, the spontaneity that comes with those surprise moments as an author. So I, I really love how letting your mind be a little bit free as you work through these problems can really positively affect how the book evolves. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it, I think as a beginner, you do want to kind of block that. Like, well, no, this is, this is the outline I turned in. I have to stick with this. It, it kind of cracks me up because my editor uh, writes the back of the cover blurb. And before I submit the finished manuscript, he'll write it and then he'll send it to me and say, is this still true? <laughs> because he knows I can change it. And I'm just delighted because that means he's given me permission to change it if need be. Right. I've had that happen so. too, where I get, you, they write the back cover copy pretty early. And then I've they written do. the book later. And then I go back to the back cover copy just to give it another read. And I'm like, oh, that changed. That's not the victim anymore. <laughs> this is, you know, they have to go back and, and rework some things because elements, yeah. significant elements have evolved through the writing process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because we've asked ourselves was, those questions, who, what, yes. when, where, why, and how, and we've been able to answer them in a way that that influences how the book unfolds. Exactly. How is often one of the hardest ones to do before you start writing. But as I said, you know, I've got my document, I've got these headings, I've got that information there that I know. And as, as it evolves, as I figure it out, as I decide how this is going to happen, then I'll fill it in. And it, it really does help me with, with editing, with successive drafts, with, um, you know, kind of keeping me from um, making big plot hole type errors or leaving loose threads. So what are some of the how questions that you ask yourself? Uh, how did the culprit plan it out? Mm. How did they commit it? Because that's not always the same thing. They may have planned to do this, uh, but somebody came in and they got not caught, but stopped and had to run. So things didn't. So a clue was dropped, that type of a thing. Mm -hmm. How was the culprit caught? How did other characters react to the crime? Which I always, I always really enjoy that because that really, again, gives you a good read into who these characters are. Mm -hmm. Did they take charge? Did they start, uh, call, did, are they the ones who alerted the police? Did, did they clear the area or did they slink away? Are they worried? Are they upset? Did they blame somebody else? There's so many things. People, crime is, is um, crime fiction 
is yes about a crime, but it's also about how crime affects everybody who's involved in it. And it's funny how you can, your characters, we as humans would never do this, mm-hmm. but your characters can just start being suspicious of others. I think you did it. Oh my gosh. You know, and then your relationship with that other character really changes as that, as that goes through. So yeah, because uh, then suspicion, how did, and trust, suspicion and trust yeah, are trust. compromised, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you have to, you do, especially your sleuth, it, your sleuth is questioning the truth and everyone that they encounter. And yeah, you, you start, I think, losing faith <laughs> in humanity yeah. a little bit uh, until the truth is realized and you're able to shake it off and say, okay, no, clearly, obviously, you know, that didn't happen. And as a writer, you, you want that to happen. You want that suspicion. You want that mistrust. And it's in answering that, how did the characters react kind of adds those nuances Mm -hmm. throughout the story Uh, because they, they're going to do something that makes you trust them and they're going to do something that makes you mistrust them. Right. And uh, you have to, you, the reader have to decide. And then the, I think the core how question I think you mentioned first was how is the crime actually committed? Mm-hmm. You know, writing mysteries, crime fiction, I think that that is just one of the most essential elements that you need to know how the crime was committed. You need to know yeah. who did it and how it happened before you start writing. You know, I, I liken it to, uh, as I mentioned before, I was a classroom teacher, middle school, high school classroom teacher. And when you're lesson planning, you backwards map. So you start with the end goal and then you work backwards thinking, how okay, now how do I get there? And it's the same way in how I approach writing a mystery in that I know how that crime happened. And now I need to work backwards and figure out, okay, how's my sleuth going to get to that truth? Yeah. But you always start with the crime. Mm -hmm. So you may as well just plot it out. Right. And yeah, you also have to, uh, I, I imagine it happens in modern day too, but in writing historical, you have to make sure that this is even possible. You know, did, did this, uh, did they have access to this in, in those days? Was, a lot of times people use poison. I use poison quite a bit, but it's not quite as available in 1900 as it was in say 1850, where you could just go to the local grocer and buy rat poison you right. know, type of thing. So right. it's, yeah. So it's, you have to know those types of things. Is this even possible? How fast does that work? But so, yeah, there's a little little bit of work involved in that, too. Yeah, I did a chat with Heather Redmond, who's an historical author of the Charles Dickens, uh, yes. Dickens of a Crime series. And we talked mm-hmm. about researching for historical mystery specifically. And yeah, we talked quite a bit about that same point that there you, you have to research and be authentic because your readers expect that and they yes. want that authenticity and you don't want to get those emails saying, well, that couldn't have happened and have them be right because you didn't do your research. Right. It's funny though. Um, a, a little nod on that. It's always the little things that I tend to slip up on. Um, I, I'll make sure I've got the details of, of um, the technology. How do you turn on the lights when you walk in this room? That type of a thing. Mm. And definitely always about the murder and the crime and the investigation. But I'll get something wrong. Like I think in one book I mentioned a specific bird 
out out the window that Francis is listening to. Oh, isn't this? And then somebody wrote me and said, no, they do not exist in London. It's like, great. Really? So, okay. All right. It was a geography thing rather than a history thing, but it's I always the little things that trip you up. Every little thing when you're writing historicals, because, you know, mm-hmm. what, what kind of floor is there? Well, yeah. Like you said, the light, the light switch, the lighting, how do you light a room? It's just every little thing. Yes. You have to know and, if you're going to have until a it, description. Yeah. Until it becomes ingrained as you're writing, it's every few paragraphs you have to stop and think, okay, how do they do that? And then you've got to look that up. Okay. How did they do that? You know, okay. All right. Now I've got that. You go on. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, she paid her a two pound note. Would that have been a note? Would it have been paper? Would it have been a coin? What did it, you know? So it, after a while you get to know this. Mm-hmm. And I think the last thing was um, most recently was the color of money at that time because <laughs> I had determined, okay, it's paper. And then I just mentioned somebody folded the green bill and I went, wait a minute, it probably wasn't green. Yeah. I got to look this up. <laughs> so you get caught on all sorts of things, but that's yeah. a bit of an aside. Yeah. The best, the, the, the worst thing would be being caught on how the crime was committed or how the crime was investigated. Yeah. The big want to get that right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, this has been so great. So the I love the structure of that journalistic approach of who, what, when, where, why, and how. And I think that inherently I already do that, but I haven't ever approached it in that sort of structured of a plan, mm-hmm. which I think I'm going to start using because you know, you're always asking and answering questions throughout the writing process, but to be able to sort of front load that as much as possible. And like you said, you've, you figured it out. So now it's in your mind Mm-hmm. ahead of time, which means you can rely on that information and kind of the, the nuance comes through as you're writing because you've thought about it. You now is- have a direction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Yeah. Such a great yeah. tip. Well, thank you so much. I, I think it's worth a try. Eventually, even if you do it, it will it will evolve to a format you work with. So it won't be the same as mine. Mine wasn't the same as Rachel's. It will evolve. I love that too. That's a great um, way to sort of end our talk. And that's something that comes up over and over again with authors that I speak with. And that is that there are all kinds of ways to do things, all kinds of ways to write a character, to plot a scene, to plot a mystery, to, you know, uh, create a story arc. Ultimately, you have to find the way that works for you. And what works for somebody else may not work for you. It may, it may not. You have to find your own way though. There is no, nothing is written in stone. You must do it this way. No, no one thing will work for everybody. Right. Which is why there are so many, which is why so many authors have so many great tips and, and ways to help aspiring authors and new authors to really, you know, uh, grow in their craft because you get to try all kinds of different things and figure out what that thing is that works for you or some sort of hybrid. Maybe you're blending. You know, I learned this from Heather and I've learned this from Diane and I've learned this from Libby, you know, and I can combine all of these together and I've created my own way of doing things. Exactly. That's what makes this podcast so wonderful is that no matter what level you're at, there's something that will spark a desire in you to, I'm going to try that. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's really very worthwhile. It's so true when you say that because, you know, my 28th, 29th book comes out <laughs> this month 
And I am always growing and learning. And I talk with people like you and I get a new idea and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to try that. I'm going to use this who, what, when, where, why, how next time. And that's a whole new approach and, you know, a formalized approach and, and I'll see how it works. I've written a lot of books, so, you know, I don't necessarily need to do that, but it's a new idea and I get excited about that and it kind of re-energizes. So wherever you are on your journey, I do think that you can grow and learn from other people. Absolutely. This has been great. Thank you, Diane, for being here so much. I really appreciate it. And I know our listeners do too. Thanks for the great conversation, Melissa. I've enjoyed it. Uh, Real quick, what is your next release? What are you working on right now? Uh, The next one coming out will be a newlyweds guide to fortune and murder. And that comes out next summer, um, June 27th. I just released a bride's guide to marriage and murder. So you can see the theme yeah, <laughs> as it's I, going forward. The titles and the covers are just so great. I love them. Yeah. I, I got really, really lucky with my, t- uh, my cover artist. She is just fabulous. And I agree. Yeah. Okay. Well, again, thank you for being here and everyone. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. As a reminder, Writerspark has writing-centric merchandise. The link to the Writerspark Tea Public storefront is in the show notes. Grab a hoodie, a t-shirt, a mug, or something else. Writery, they're great fun. Get something for yourself or for other writers in your life. Also, visit the Writerspark website and YouTube channels. You can find everything about Writerspark courses, content, and all the other information at writersparkacademy.com. Come back for more tips and tricks about fiction writing and learn more about our online courses at writersparkacademy.com. I'm Melissa Bourbon. Thank you for listening. And until next time, happy writing.